Listener supported. WNYC Studios. This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale. A few days ago, we opened the phones across the country and asked people who are over 60 to call in and tell us about their lives right now. We wanted to know what we'd hear when you just ask, how are you doing? What are you noticing about getting older right now? And this week, we're sharing some of the best of that conversation with you. Our call-in ran on public radio stations across the country, and Joanne Allen hosted along with me. Tonight, we're taking your calls about getting older, especially during the past year that we have had. If you are over 60, we want to hear how you're feeling your age differently this year than last year. As these calls come in, Joanne, I want to share some of what we've heard so far during this series, particularly about why it can be hard to talk about aging. I'll think of age and maybe feel it a little as being slightly odd or different from the people around me. I was having the sense of being an older person and that this was new territory. This was a new experience the way being adolescent or being pregnant or giving birth was new. And I wanted to talk about it. Sometimes it makes me very angry because I feel superfluous. I feel kind of like I'm a waste of space. You know, I'm navigating new waters and it's not always easy, but it's still kind of an adventure. That was just a bit of what we heard in our episode that we called Just Ask Us, Your Stories About Life After 60. And you can find that at deathsexmoney.org slash aging or in your podcast feed. I love, Joanne, what that listener said about aging being similar to being pregnant or giving birth, because so much about aging is about physical transformation. But it's not one that there's a lot of discussion around. Um, I want to orient ourselves for our listeners. Joanne, I am a proud 40-year-old person. You are a little older. (laughs) Anna, (laughs) I am a proud 67-year-old. And I have to admit, (laughs) I never imagined that once I got into my 60s and got onto Medicare and, you know, started thinking more seriously about retirement— that I would feel good about it because I think for a long, long time we've often thought that life starts to decline after you get into your 60s. And yes, there are things that change about our bodies, uh, about our mental capacities. A lot changes. But that doesn't mean we have to be sad about it. We don't have to be upset about it. Actually, let's be glad, happy that we're aging. I am. Well, and also curious about it. Like, what is this life phase? We are, we've asked that question and and the board is filling up with calls. So I want to get right to it. Margaret is calling from Newton, Massachusetts. Hi, Margaret. This is Getting Real About Getting Older. Great. Yes. I'm I'm so glad you're doing this. Yeah. Well, tell me for you, when did you start thinking of yourself as an aging person? Well, um, I'm not sure I do yet, and I'm 78 years old. So I I think a lot about ageism, though. I'm not mm-hmm. so interested in what's happening with me personally, um, psychologically. I don't think I'm that different from the way I used to be. But ageism now really takes up a lot of my mental energy and also my um, writing energy and my research energy. And that started in March. Well, what have you been feeling about um, uh, ageism, and how how do you define that? Well, uh, I'll give you one example. I um, in March I started noticing that the hospitals in New York City and Boston were filling up. Maybe it hadn't happened in Colorado yet, and they uh, put out something called triage guidelines. Now, triage is a way of deciding who should get saved and who should not. And um, not all the guidelines were the same. I studied a couple from different places, New York State, Pennsylvania, and age was a cutoff. In other words, you get two people, they're equally likely to survive, and the one who's older is not going to get chosen to get the ICU and the ventilator. Well, that was a big shock, as you can imagine. Um, 
I, I didn't realize that those guidelines had existed. And why should anybody know about them? They're intended for pandemics or for other kinds of, you know, where hospitals are absolutely overwhelmed. But we should have been recognizing this because it had happened in Italy just a couple of weeks before that. And we simply were not prepared. And I was not prepared that ageism would be so powerful at that point. I hear you, Margaret. I hear you saying with the pandemic's onset, you felt a sudden sense of feeling devalued as an aging person. Is that how you would put it? Not personally. I, I really want to make this clear. I, 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 don't, I don't know um, it, how other people feel about ageism because shows like yours and most shows and most um, no, um, nonfiction books talk about aging and they don't ask people about ageism. And we may, not, we may uh, fail to do that, and it is a failure of, um, of interest and interviewing. We may fail to do that because, in fact, we think people don't know what ageism is. Well, I think we have to change that story. We have to tell people that ageism is everything from you're dysfunctional because you're an old man or you're not marriageable because you're an old woman, all the way up to the triage guidelines. That's a big range of ages. Yeah. Thanks so much for setting the frame for us for this conversation, both about how we think of ourselves as aging people and then also how society uh, views us as aging people. Um, Thanks for your call. I want to bring Sandra in Fort Lauderdale into the conversation. Sandra, I see you just had a birthday. You are 82 years old. Uh, Yes, just yesterday. Happy birthday. Thank you so much. I'm curious for you, this last year, do you think of yourself, have have you started to think of your age in a different way, having gone through this pandemic year? Uh, Actually not. uh, The lady who called before, she rather depressed me. Uh, (laughs) I don't think that way. Um, I feel... Uh, wonderful because I have wonderful family. Most of my family is here. Um, it has been a difficult year because we really all can't be together. It's a very small family, but one of my grandnieces is a, uh, a doctor at Jackson Memorial, and um, the other kids are either they're musicians and they're with kids, and nobody wants to be near me. I am waiting for a vaccination desperately because we're, you know the problems that we're going through right now. But um, I really keep myself very busy. I uh, did something which I never did before. I made Thanksgiving and I made Hanukkah for the kids and I gave everybody a doggy bag. And they were so thrilled with everything. It was divine. I cannot tell you the thank you notes that I received. I will keep them forever. I mean, it's, mm. it, you know, I, I am just a very upbeat kind of person. I uh, have a two-time cancer survivor. will be 16 years of that I am free in June. I um, was married for 15 years. I divorced. Uh, 37 years ago, 38 years ago. Uh, I'm just interested in being with my very good friends, and I have very few friends, but they are wonderful. You know, Sandra, I'm curious. I I, I, I was curious. You mentioned you you are a survivor of cancer, and I'm wondering, do you connect surviving that kind of illness that could be life-threatening with your positive appreciation of aging. Absolutely. Absolutely. My mom, I mean, we have a lot of longevity in the family. Um, I had a wonderful sister. She also, we got the bad gene. She also, she had cancer. She died 12 years ago. She was just marvelous. And all of her, the children that are, that are now my children are all of her children. I never had children, and we just have such a wonderful family, and I really have this belief that um, if you have an upbeat attitude and you'll, 
you just move forward with everything that you do, and that's the way I feel. Uh, you really can hmm. beat almost anything. I think that's everything, you know, and keeping you know, busy and just being positive. You know, Sandra, thank you for, for sharing, and I, I am just... Uh, I love hearing about the community of support and love that's a part of your life. I want to bring in someone who first talked to us in an episode we did called Just Ask Us as part of our month-long look at aging that I've been working on with Joanne. Sandra in the Bronx in New York City. Hi, Sandra. Hi. Good evening. Hey, Sandra. How are you? Hi. Okay, Joanne. Nice to hear you again. <laughs> nice to talk to you, too. Now, I know that you had COVID last spring, and you went through that while living by yourself in New York City. How did that change the way right. you felt about being in your 70s? Um, it I don't think what I felt had much to do with my age. And I'm 73. I'll be 74 in June. I think I came to a kind of a realization because I also live alone and I have lived alone for the last 25 years ever since I divorced that um, I, I began to feel that I was relying a lot just on myself. I was taking care of myself. Uh, to a large extent, it never occurred to me to even call my next door neighbor and say, you know, could you get me some groceries because I'm, mm. you know, crawling in my bed and I'm suffering from COVID. Mm. I just took the mindset that I had to figure out really how to do this myself. Um, and that certainly did not mean that I didn't have friends who were willing, you know, to help me. Um, but I was also fortunate in that I wasn't, my illness lasted for maybe a, a week and a half. Uh, I was never sick enough to need to be hospitalized. Um, I really just spent most of my time in bed. Um, I didn't have any appetite, so I, I lost a, a little bit of weight. Mm -hmm. um, but I sort of, you know, just came through it. You know, my doctor says you're going to be fine. And then I just sort of went on. And well, I, I, again, I didn't think of it in terms of, oh, what? I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I was wondering, you know, having this illness, did it make you reconsider wanting to live alone as an older person? Yeah, I mean, it did make me think along those lines. And so one of my thought was, you need to have a plan. You need to have a plan as to, you know, what if you get really seriously ill or you can't get out of bed or you can't even make food for yourself to eat? How are you going to handle that? So I literally made sets of keys for my apartment. I mm. identified three people, including my younger brother, and uh, said, we're going to exchange keys to each other's apartment, and we're going to regularly start checking in with each other to make sure we're okay. Mm -hmm. And um, I need to know that, you know, I can call on you if I have a situation where I get ill again. I know I can call you and say, you know, I, I don't have food in my house you know, would you really mind just stopping by and bringing me some chicken soup? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's mm -hmm. something that I yeah. could, could eat and, and, and be okay with. Yeah. So I, I really felt that, you know, it's fine to be independent and to feel like you can take care of yourself. But the reality is you are, I am going to get to a point sometime where I might not be able to take care of myself. So mm -hmm. the pandemic really sort of was like a light bulb going on in my head to that extent. A couple of years ago, a number of my women friends, a few who had never been married, had said, well, you know, we've got to a certain age and we'll just get this huge apartment and we'll all just move in together and it'll be like a suite of women, suite of friends. And we all thought that was really kind of a fun idea, but of course we've made no move towards actually <laughs> planning it. <laughs> it's, always, it's like, well, you do it. No, 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 well, you do it. And so we really haven't. It, it sounded really good in theory, um, but we haven't even begun to kind of put it in practice. And, you know, really, it's not a bad idea. Sandra, I love, you know, you've made that step of now your extra keys are floating out there. And so you have people, someone to call when if you're sick and need some chicken soup. And maybe even post-pandemic, you can just say, will you bring me some chicken soup even when you're not sick? <laughs> you can I think that slowly... would probably be a good, a good little test for me, you know, just to see if I can do it. <laughs> Instead of saying, yeah. oh, you'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Just go ahead and say, you know, could you come over on the weekend and bring some chicken soup or 
you know, whatever you have in your refrigerator that we can heat up, that would be really great. Yeah, thank you for calling in. It's nice to talk to you again, and 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 best of luck in this next phase. I'm curious to hear as you start vision boarding that suite, what it's actually going to look like. Um, I want to bring Bruce <laughs> into the conversation from Chicago. Bruce is 73. What have you been noticing lately about the way your body is changing as you've gotten a little older? Well, I think the thing that struck me the most, now I had COVID. I had COVID right before Thanksgiving. I was hospitalized, but only for four days. So I don't think it was that serious, but I had some of all of the symptoms. You know, I didn't, even when I came, I, I think the thing that struck me and shocked me is when I came home from the hospital and they sent me home early because I was, you know, recovering well, was that the recovery, I thought I'd be okay when I came back and I wasn't. It was mm. just, uh, my doctor kept saying to me, everything that I'm going through was normal, but the recovery, even from, again, just four days in the hospital, uh, the recovery was very slow. And I would say even now it's not a, I'm not a hundred percent. And I would say the one thing in my life uh, during COVID that's given me hope, it's interesting that every person in every country in the world is going through the same thing. And I think that could, I mean, I'm hoping and praying that that could have a positive result down the road. That we, hey, what did you do? What did you do? How did you survive? How did you survive? Um, It's not unique to anybody. You know, and, Bruce, um, I just want to say again, yeah. I'm, I am glad you are on the mend. I'm glad that it was only four days in the hospital, and I wish you continued healing. I want to bring Susie into the conversation next from Denver, Colorado. Susie, you are 68 years old. How are you feeling your age these days? Well, I'm feeling... Uh, I, I never feel my age on a daily basis. Um, it's not something that I think about or I have to dwell on for any particular reason. Um, but I do feel my age for one thing, because I'm constantly reminded that um, I'm of a certain age, which very soon I'm hoping to get the vaccine. Never hoped to, never wanted to be 70 more in my whole life. Um, <laughs> but I think the thing that has struck me the most, I feel melancholy because I am feeling that I'm missing out on a lot of things. I have two grandchildren in Chicago. Um, I'm lucky enough to have two here as well, but that's time that you cannot get back. And, you know, you wonder when you come out the other side of this, um, you know, hopefully I'll remain active and healthy and be able to be a part of their lives. But in the meantime, I have, uh, what has really struck me about my age is that I have a 92 year old father and a 90 year old mother back in Iowa where I came from. And I have not been able to be near them. My father's ill. And my last trip, my my son-in-law from here was kind enough in September to drive me straight through to Iowa. And, uh, and I was able to visit for a little bit before my dad was sick. But, you know, if I was 30, I would probably take that risk benefit into account and hop on a plane or jump in a car and, and go and, and spend time with them after I quarantine. But I, I'm, I'm just not of an age that I can put them at risk or I can put myself at risk right at the moment. So that brings my age into stark focus and it frames my life in a way that I never thought um, I would be necessarily going through. And Susie, let me ask you, to the extent that you're willing to talk about, I'm curious that when you were able to be with your parents back in September, was the quality of your conversations different with a sense of um, all of your physical vulnerabilities? Did you notice that the way you spent time together and what you talked about, was it any different than usual? I would say that I, it was the first time when I came home when I left them that I thought maybe I would never see them again because of the uncertainty and they were both very healthy and maintaining their own homes and cooking and everything for themselves at the time. Um, you know, just that overwhelming sense that 
I don't know what's going to happen to me down the road. I don't know what's going to happen to you down the road. Um, you know, and, but as I wrote in my Christmas letter, the thing that I came away with was that this is the first time that I've gone home and said, not said, okay, I'll see you in a couple of months. I'll see you later. It was this, I'm, I'm very present in the moment. I'm going to enjoy every moment. I'm going to prioritize the time that I have to be with my family and not, you know, running here to see this friend or going back to the places I work to check in, that kind of thing. So, yes, it was different. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for calling in. And I love that you called in accompanied by your cat in the background, Susie. Your cat yes, is famous. Moment in the sun. Um, it's nice to talk with you and, and all our best to you. And I want to bring in Steve, who is 63. Steve, you are relatively young. What are you noticing about aging these days there in Philly? Well, I'm not sure if it's my age or just the product of my lifetime of experience, but I've gone through a number of changes lately, uh, significant ones like uh, major job change, career change, and uh, moving and divorce and getting remarried, all in a several-year span, and and a new house and new wife, and I had my daughter move in for a while, and my life's been very busy, and um, I've been conditioned to be this high-functioning, fast-moving guy, and I'm tired of it. <laughs> mm. I am deliberate. I am deliberately trying to slow down um, and uh, uh, spend more time relaxing. I mean, this may sound crazy, but I I enjoy coming home at night watching TV. I work uh, typical twelve-hour days in a stressful job uh, where you're, of course, unappreciated, and I'm the old guy. Yeah, and Steve, I'm, I, I like that you bring up that idea of wanting to intentionally slow down, and we're going to talk more about that if you have been thinking about this year, about wanting to re-enter post-pandemic, living a little differently. We want to hear how you're thinking you might do that. The phone number is 844-745-TALK, 844-745-TALK. I want to bring Betsy in New York City into the conversation. Betsy, all this hour we are talking about what people have been noticing lately about how they've experienced their age in this last year. How about you? What are you noticing? Well, um, I am a singer. And I've sung since I was a child. I'm now 69 years old. And for much of my life, I was a very high light soprano. And um, I pretty much kept it up until I got to be mid-60s. And my voice just really changed. And that's even an old sell-by date for most classical singers. So I had to really go back and work on my voice use all the different lessons that I had. I literally sat in a room with my computer program, listening to myself, remembering all my voice lessons and accepting that my voice was never going to be high light anymore. And that I was really a, a darker mezzo. And if that was the case, how was I going to use that voice? What was I, what vocal rep was I going to do? I have also made an investment in younger friends, like I have a couple nieces and some younger people that I've really worked over the years um, hmm. to keep those relations up because one of you was mentioning a house where you'd all be old together, but the problem is, is you will all hit that place. Please, God, it wouldn't happen, but where if everybody's old together, who helps? the other people out. Um, I'm also an ordained cantor, and I've watched older people who are just in total denial that they will ever age. They buy three-story townhouses when they're 75 oh. years old, and then, of course, first disaster, they can't do the stairs. So there's this part of you that does not want to go gently into that good night, but there is also a part of you that has to realize at some point it's not going to be like it is. And that's sort of it. You know, Betsy, uh, you've described yourself, and I 
think I know you, and you're not a planted call, I don't think. You sure do, Joanne. <laughs> How are you, <laughs> Betsy? No, you know me from probably 25 oh, years ago. I know, yeah. and you, and I mean, the ordained cantor <laughs> part really, you know, made me realize exactly who you are. So, are you you are you singing more mezzo stuff, or what's going on? Yeah, and and all. And I was, until COVID, mm-hmm. doing part-time work, but that, of course, has really all dried up. I'm hoping that when COVID is over, there will be some small community that can't afford someone full-time who will hire. And, I mean, I feel so many of us are older, and we have a lot to give. We may not want to work those 80-hour weeks anymore, but we still would like to work part-time, and I think there's a real challenge in our culture to connect people who need us um, with the people we would like to help. And it's not just in the ministry or the clergy. I mean, every field in the world has people with wisdom, and sometimes when you retire, there's just no way to use those skills without doing them full-time. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I mean, I think that we, as older people, we have a a wealth of information and experiences to offer. And, you know, we don't want to be just put out to pasture and be seen as the, you know, the venerable older relative. We have stuff to offer. Yeah, and I also appreciated that Betsy's pointing out a, a little capitalist argument for getting uh, older people back into the post-COVID budgets, that if you're working part-time, you could be a little less expensive. So, uh, Betsy, I hope you do find that work um, as we, we enter into this new phase. Thanks for calling in. Uh, I, I want to bring Barbara in Denver and Colorado into the conversation. Hi, Barbara. Hello. Hi. So I understand I'm you're here. 73. Hi. Have you been thinking about yes. wanting to uh, ha- live your life a little bit differently post-COVID after this year of being able to reflect on on where you are and in, in aging? I'm pretty much a creature of habit. And I enjoy uh-huh. working. I'm old enough that work was a strong ethnic, ethnic that I was imprinted with. And so post-COVID, uh, uh, I would like to basically hopefully see the people that I'm hopefully uh, uh, giving hope to in this, uh, for younger people, a dismal time. For older people, we can hunker down and we can we can go through things because we have a history of going through things. Young people, they don't, they don't know how to prevail. And this is overwhelming. I'm a landlord in Denver, and I have uh, generally lower income people uh, because I kind of like people that are young and and getting started. And so post-COVID, what I would like to do is more of what I'm doing, but having the young people, if you will, by the example myself and hopefully other people are giving them, they'll have more traction. So I'm not Mm wanting so much for myself because whatever comes my way, I I can prevail. I've I've done it all these years and I'm going to keep on doing it. But my hope is that the young people, and when I say young people, just about everybody younger than me anymore, uh, can have more hope. And what mm-hmm. I'm doing is I'm, I, I shouldn't say this because my tenants in Denver know this. They, well, they know it's true anyway. I collect rent based on what they can pay. Okay. Oh. Uh, uh, I go to food banks and I bring food to them. And I've always been kind of a momsy kind of landlord. But this COVID situation has taught me that I have the power to do a lot more. And I'm doing a lot more. I'm leading you know, by example. I love what you say about y- y- the role that you can play in helping younger people realize their resiliency. I want to point out recent studies, including those from the Kaiser Family Foundation. While they found that rates of depression and anxiety among older adults is significantly higher now than it was in 2018, the rates of depression and anxiety in adults 65 and older is still lower currently than those of younger adults. So I think you're you're spot on that, that older people have a role to play in helping support younger people and also talking through what it is to get through things, survive things, move through hard moments and get on to the next passage. And and for some people, uh, 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 when people are a couple with all the tension, money tension, job tension, 
they, they tend to fuss and fight. And a lot of young people today have no family they can count on. And I've listened to your other talk, speakers, um, um, uh, guests, and they have connections. I'm a person that has no connection with any family member. So I feel how my tenants who might be in that same situation are. And I call myself their, their surrogate mother. Uh, um, mm. And I insist that they know that they can call me at any time if there's a problem. Because rather than blow up a relationship that they don't uh, want to blow up just because they're, they're overwhelmed, uh, if they don't have, if you will, an elder in their life, a wise person in their life, not that I'm so smart, but I've, I've made mistakes and I know that you can cure them. And so I, I, I'm not really, I'm, I'm not hungry for post-COVID, not that I don't want it to linger, but I'm going to prevail no matter what. And hmm. the only reason I want this to hurry up and get done is so that young people can, if you will, get traction in their lives that have been so interrupted. Yeah, no, I was going to say, I love that idea about how we as older people can help younger people get through this. Because in our lives, we've already been through a number of things and have learned how to cope. And this is quite a severe event that is taking place, this pandemic. And I can see how a younger person would possibly need our help more in terms of showing them the way to to deal with such uh, difficult times. So older yeah. people, just keep in mind that we can still help young folks through this. After the break, more of your calls about getting older. Hey, I'm jumping in here for our podcast listeners just to say, isn't live radio so fun? We are thinking of this, Colin, as a finale of sorts to the series we've been working on for the past month or so about aging right now. You can see all that was part of that on our website at deathsexmoney.org slash aging. There's also a playlist there of some of our favorite Death, Sex, and Money episodes of all time with guests over 60. Check that out if you haven't. Chaz Ebert talks about mourning Roger after his death. Lucinda Williams talks about visiting Flannery O'Connor as a kid and chasing her pet peacocks around the yard. And Ellen Burstyn and Gloria Steinem talk together about beauty and aging. It's all really great stuff. Again, that's all at deathsexmoney.org slash aging. On our next episode, on the week of Valentine's Day, we are listening to your stories of a different time when it was possible to meet a lovely stranger without planning about masks and COVID tests and getting to know each other physically. Yes, we are going to listen to your sweet memories of One Night Stands. This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale. In the second half of last week's live show about aging, we asked listeners to tell us about the ways their relationships and support systems have changed in the past year. And we heard first from a 63-year-old listener named Paul in Louisville, Kentucky. Paul in Louisville, Kentucky. Hello, Paul. Hello. How are you? Hi. Now, you are unmarried, but you live near family, not with family. And I'm curious, what have you noticed about how those relationships have changed over this past year? Well, uh, I do live near uh, uh, my my brother and uh, and uh, his uh, his wife, his wife and kids. Uh, but uh, I've been kind of intimidated by the pandemic. Uh, it scared me and I haven't wanted, I mean, I'm on the phone with them a lot and talking and around Christmas time, we all hooked up our phones and, uh, said the blessing and all of that. We just made sure everyone was there, you know, and we could get in on the Christmas meal at the time. But, mm -hmm. um, I say I'm intimidated by the pandemic because 
I feel like I'm kind of scared to travel. My mother and father are in Florida right now, and uh, I would like to go see them, but I'm always scared. My father's 89, my mother's 85, and I'm so scared, you know, because they're at the age where they're most vulnerable with this pandemic. And a lot of times I don't go out. I mean, I used to go out a lot. I like to go to 12-step meetings and everything, but... um, most of those are online on zoom and fortunately i'm able to see my friends on there but it's it's kind of hard because zoom is a poor substitute for you know hugs and smiles and you know face-to-face conversation uh but it's something and that's helpful have you noticed when zoom feels a little uh, when zoom feels extra not enough um, what have you done to feel connected? Well, I, uh, I finally, uh, I can get depressed pretty easy, but, uh, I've just gone out and walked when I can. And I don't do that very much, but I've started doing it again. And, uh, in Louisville, we've got a bridge that goes from, uh, Kentucky over to the Ohio river. And this Sunday, even though it's getting ready to snow. I made a point of going over there and walking over and walking back. It was, it just felt so good uh, just to get that physical exercise. And I'm on the phone uh, with many friends a lot of the times. And I've got some good neighbors in the building that I'm in. Someone was talking about having a neighbor that you could call when you get sick that could help you. And I've got a couple of people like that. So, so that's, that's been nice. But it has been to be and to be honest, I, I like to meditate. I like to read about spirituality and I will a lot of times just go into that that little room, if you will, and mm. uh just go there into that room of stillness. And it does help. Yeah, Paul, yeah. I would say and um, I understand exactly everything you're saying. But you're taking that walk over the bridge, I think, showed you that you need to go within for all of that spirituality, but you also got to let stuff out. And I find that when I at least try and walk every other day for a good 45 minutes to an hour, if I, you know, if the weather is fairly decent, it does a world of difference. I mean, it, it makes a world of difference because by the time I get back home, there's something that is feeling safe again about being back in my apartment. I noticed that this last time. It had been a year and a half since I got And I thought, man, I got to do this some more. So, yeah, I have to agree with what you say. Paul, it's really nice to hear from you. And I also like picturing you going to that small room when you are yeah. going inward. I like I like that Thank visual you. you gave us as well. Thank you for your call. Lynn, you're there in Aurora, Colorado. I see you're 70 years old. What have you noticed about how your relationships have fared over this time of isolation? I don't have any relationships. I'm seriously yeah. just trying not to go crazy. I have um, I, I have the national suicide line on speed dial. Um, mm. I am totally isolated, except for four hours a week, and that's when a helper brings me groceries or um, takes me for an appointment or helps me inside the house. Because um, I can't speak, I have macular degeneration, I can't walk, I'm confined mostly to my bed. I'm not eligible for uh, hip surgery. I can hardly talk. I have a paralyzed vocal cord, and I don't even sing. And um, I have a multitude of, uh, of health issues, chronic fatigue syndrome, chronic pain, and chronic um, depression. And um, the comment about all I need is a positive attitude is ridiculous. Um, some of us are facing real health issues, and there's very little we can do about it but just try to tough it out. You know, Lynn, I'm glad you called in. I, I'm I'm curious, like when when you have that four hours of time with your helper, um, do you talk about how you're lonely? You know, she's so busy trying to do stuff, she can't help much. You know, she can talk to me. I 
appreciate the talk, but four hours a week isn't a whole lot. Four hours a week of human contact. Put any human being into that situation, and you tell me how a person is not supposed to get depressed. Or, or the comment about that lady said, you can do it. You can do what? If you can't, you can't change some of these things that have happened. I had a wonderful life. I had a wonderful life. But my, I lost my husband when I was, um, uh, he was 54, I was 52. Um, and as time has gone on, we all know about losing um, friends along the way from death, from, you know, as we all get older. So I, I don't really think that the comment, I know, I heard you, Joanne, I love you, but um, I can't be glad about aging. I, I think you got to be kidding. For some of us, aging stinks. And I know I'm your, what is it called? Party pooper or whatever word you want to bring to it. Oh, but no. if you said the program is to let's get real. My comment is let's get real that some of us are really suffering. And we will suffer. I suffered before COVID and I will suffer after COVID. And how I'm going to survive this, I have no idea. Well, I am sorry if I gave you the impression in any way, Lynn, that I was minimizing the real hard everyday pain that some people are going through. Um, I hear what you're saying. And um, I actually am going to get a hold of you because I'm here in Colorado. And what I'm going to do is yeah, see if I there's... You. I listen to you every day. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but I'm, I'm going to see if there's something that, being a Coloradan, that I can suggest for you that might be helpful because your pain is very real. That'd be very kind. Your pain is very real and we recognize it and we're not making light of that in any way, shape or form. And uh, I'm really glad you listened. And you know, it's funny too because I... Go ahead. Well, I I have, uh, I even went through breast cancer. I went through breast cancer and I can honestly tell you that was a piece of cake compared to what I'm going through now. Hmm. And my mind is still blurred, but when you're when all these things have happened to you that you really don't have a whole lot of control over, um, you know, and I know that there's a lot of people out there suffering, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of people out there like myself who are alone, mm-hmm. terribly alone, mm-hmm. and I don't know how they're dealing with it. I have no clue. And when I've asked the doctor, have they done any studies on people that are isolated like this, you know, like during the COVID thing, or even prior, whatever? Um, because, you know, they say no. And I said, well, you should, because um, it's like, uh, you know, when they take people and they put them in solitary confinement, it's, it's in the prison, you know, and stuff like that. It's very similar to being totally isolated is a, is a very strange thing to have to cope with. You know, Lynn, I just want to, again, I want to reiterate what Joanne just said. I'm, I'm really glad you were listening to this on your radio. You heard a phone number and you called and you said, I want to tell you what's happening in my life, and I want to tell you what it feels like, and I want to tell you what's hard, because a lot of people um, don't even have that language. So I'm really glad that you added this to our conversation, because physical ailments are real, loss is real, and isolation and loneliness is real. Uh, so I want to thank you for calling, and and uh, uh, and I look forward to to hearing more about your and Joanne's follow-up conversations. Joanne has one more thing to say. Yeah, I just wanted to say to Lynn, you know how to get a hold of me here at CPR. Write to me, and I promise I will see what uh, I can can figure out in terms of resources and help. This is Getting Real About Getting Older. Thank you, Lynn, for calling in. I want to bring Jonathan in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, into the conversation. You are 65, Jonathan. What have you noticed for you about your support system and your social relationships during this past year of isolation? Uh, The most important um, thing is I have a group of six of us childhood friends who are all over the country and we formed a group on Facebook Messenger. We all live different lives. We have some of us doctors, some of us accountants, whatever. But we have a continuing conversation. Um, it helped us through the politics, um, whatever any of us were going COVID. But I would like to bring something up that I haven't heard um, in a lot of COVID discussion, if you, if you will. I'm a gay man. And I have lived most of my life in New York City. I'm now living in my 
condominium in Florida very happily. I'm a happy guy. I exercise. I'm the happiest guy in the world. I grow orchids. I do my walking. But what I do want to bring up is being my age and having lived in Manhattan during the AIDS epidemic, when the COVID thing came originally, it put me into a state of again. Um, and it's really important for you to know, I lost my partner of 10 years. I lost most of my friends. Um, and I've learned to live with that. I am so overwhelmed by people that don't want to wear masks or I just don't understand a lot of what is going on and why people don't want to protect themselves. And the point for me is when this thing came along, I became a monk. I do do my eight miles every morning. I go out, but it really was almost like a PTSD from back in the 1980s in New York City, if you will. But um, we're going to get through it. I'm going to get vaccinated this week, which in Florida is a victory. Um, yeah. And um, I'm just grateful to be healthy, alive, and uh, looking forward to enjoying the rest of my retirement. Jonathan, may I ask you, you mentioned being in touch uh, with old friends on Facebook Messenger. I'm curious, did you find yourself feeling compelled to reach out to people uh, who were in your life in the 80s during the AIDS crisis to, to reconnect with people maybe you had fallen out of touch with as you were feeling all those feelings and that trauma coming back? I, didn't, I don't need to go back and truly celebrate all of that, if you will. I'm more interested the six friends uh, of which uh, I'm one of them. So of the six, I'm the only gay guy. Everybody else is married with children, whatever. It was just, it's just so wonderful to know that I have 65-year connections. Yeah. Thank you for your call, Jonathan. I'm glad you brought that into our conversation. I want to bring Diana from Hoboken, New Jersey, into our conversation. Hi there, Diana. Hello, Anna. How you doing? Hi, good. How old are you, Diana? 69. 69. And what have you noticed about what you're thinking about in terms of your relationships and your social support network over this last year? Well, I, I guess I'm looking at age maybe a little bit more in a more philosophical way than um, kind of limiting it so much to the pandemic. Um, I think one of the things in terms of aging that I'm feeling, and I haven't heard people really talk about, is just the, the sadness of dying. The fact that what's beginning to happen as you get into your 60s is that you really kind of come very much face-to-face -face with the fact that you're going to be having to say goodbye. You know, you're seeing, <laughs> you're seeing the end. And it's just, it's terribly sad. And you know, I've just always had a hard time making my peace with that. I have, I have a, a, a blessed life. I have a, a wonderful partner and beautiful children. I'm a new grandmother <laughs> and um, literally two weeks old grandmother. And, you know, beautiful things. But it, it, it's, I always have this kind of feeling of the, the sweet sadness of it. Um, you know, the beauty that's here, but that the fact is that life will go on for these people you love, and you will be gone, and you so much want to be a part of it. Um, so that's one thing. I think the other more general kind of thing that people feel, and I certainly feel, um, is just a little bit more irrelevance as I'm getting older. You know, I feel as though um, that my work is not feeling as vital. I mean, Joanne was talking earlier about uh, having, you know, a wonderful, you know, wonderful, loving getting older. But Joanne is really blessed with having, um, you know, a very vibrant life, um, you know, a very full life, engaging with people um, in the media. You know, very few people have that. And what begins to happen is that you kind of feel that juiciness of life recede a bit. And you try to find things, you know, with, whether it's volunteering or whether it's other things, but there's nothing like really being truly engaged in, in something. Yeah, I was just going to say, yeah. 
That's interesting that you referred to this time of life as a sweet sadness. It's not a complete sadness, but a sweet sadness. And <laughs> I, I understand that feeling of, oh, the end is near. But how near is it when you're 69? It, might, it may be another 20 <laughs> years before, before you're gone. I mean, my dad lived to 103, and I think he you know, never would You're right. Have... If you're lucky, you are. Yeah, and, and it, it's, it, it's... Yeah, you can be lucky. Yeah. You, you can be lucky. And also, I have a genuine curiosity about what is next. That isn't to say that I want to walk out of this mm-hmm. studio and, you know, fall down dead. I would rather that not happen. But I'm, I, I am curious as to know what's going to be the next step after this. So I have a sweet sadness in a sense as well, even though, you know, you described me as a vibrant person who gets around and does a lot of stuff. There are moments when I do stop and think, oh, yeah, I am closer to my death every day. But that doesn't stop me from continuing to live life to the fullest. You sound like you have a lot going on in your life. And I would focus a lot more on (laughs) that. You're not irrelevant. How are you irrelevant? Mm. You know, just not kind of looking for things to do that are kind of nice, that are kind of interesting, going on, um, you know, getting together with friends. I also play tennis. I started a women's basketball team for older women. Um, you know, things cool. like that, but feeling a purposefulness that really fe- feels that you're making a difference um, is, 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 a, is a little bit more challenging in a way. And you can kind of, you can kind of get a kind of an ennui about it. I, I do like how you say noticing the juiciness of life sort of receding a bit. So I, I think that both things are true. You are absolutely not irrelevant. And also, I think you're noticing some things that, uh, you know, that are, that, are, that are real things, that are realities that come with getting older. I want to thank you for your call. Um, and I think that's awesome about your Women's Basketball League. Oh, yeah. I'll just like... Yeah, just just nail it in that hoop when you get down the court. <laughs> um, probably, I want to bring dunks. Helen into the conversation. <laughs> I know, <laughs> Helen, uh, you are in Brooklyn. You are seventy-one years old. I'm curious, what have you noticed during this year? How have your family relationships changed? Your support system? What have you observed? Well, um, the thing that's happened with me is. Um, I've learned I have a 30-something son who was working, um, you know, in a service job here in New York City, and that ended for him. So we had to learn in this house, we were living in the same apartment, but we had to learn to adjust our schedules, uh, Mm. especially for the TV room area. And uh, that's (laughs) one thing I've noticed. I also had to adjust. Uh, cooking. My son and I usually cooked our own meals, and when this thing happened, it was like, well, I've got to get the healthiest meals for both of us because this thing is out there. And, um, you know, being the age I am, I don't usually talk about my age, but for this, why not? You know, I don't think, I'm not sure if the creator's going to give me 71 more years, so why not? You know, so <laughs> usually when you get to this stage and age of the game, you're not going to get double. So I just <laughs> um, tried to fix foods that would be healthy. I even had to start ordering things. I was trying to get the Meals on Wheels thing, but if you waited too late and weren't already getting that, they had shut that down. Yeah, so you know what I hear you saying, more. Helen? It, this has been a time of, for you, uh, a lot of picking up on, on caregiving and taking care of business and, and updating your routines to, to make sure you were doing things in a way you felt physically safe to do. I want to I thank you for your call, um, and I hope that, that uh, coordinating the TV room space is going okay with you and your son. Um, we're getting close to the top of the hour, so I just want to get in a few more calls. Gail, I want to invite you into the conversation from Miami Beach. Gail, what have you noticed for yourself about how your relationships and support system have changed over this last year? Well, are you Anna or are you Joanne? I'm Anna. I'm Anna. Hi, Anna. Okay. Uh, I've been involved all my life uh, in activities, so I can honestly say I'm very grateful for being healthy at age 81. But I'm a mental health professional. 
And about 30 years ago, I gave a, a workshop on passages. And from that workshop, the group is still going. We started in our 50s, and we meet every Saturday. We used to meet only once a month, and because of the pandemic, we're meeting every Saturday, which Mm. has been wonderful. Now, I'm also involved in a group that's right now going to be planning and has been planning a yearly conference on aging. So I told them they must all listen in tonight because we all wanted to know what was happening, you know, on this (laughs) website, on your phone. But I think attitude is so important for everyone that's listening. And a number of years ago, two other women and I wrote a book. It was published in 2017. And I really think it would help so many people who I hear are not quite sure of what they're leaving behind or or how to spend their time at this moment. And what we hoped for women was that they would take stock of their lives as we did. We sat for five years going over our lives from beginning stage to the point that we're at right now in maturity. And we asked questions in each chapter that helps people stop and think about what messages did I receive Hmm. from my family? What messages do I still think are those that I want to give to others? How do my friends handle certain situations? And so we interviewed over 200 women throughout the country on various stages of their lives, so that when you're reading this book, you could probably find any one of them that you might identify with and see what they perhaps have done with their situations. You know, I, I, I often think if we just really stop to take stock of our, of our lives, as you were saying, yes. you'd be amazed at all the things you've done and accomplished, and, and that can give you strength to know that you can continue on. Yes, absolutely. And speaking of experience, Gail, I want to make sure you say the name of your book that you wrote in 2017. What's the name of it? Sure. The name of the book is Journey from Invisibility to Visibility, Hmm. A Guide for Hmm. Women 60 and Beyond. Hmm. Ooh, that's a good title, Gail. I'm going to check it it out as soon as I get off the air. Thank you so much for calling in, Gail. I really appreciate it. And what a remarkable group that you get to be a part of with that group of passages that you have been accompanying Hmm. uh, through this this long time. What a blessing. Uh, Thank you for calling in. We are getting to the end of this hour, and so I want to bring John from Queens into the conversation. You are 83, John, I see. What what do you want to make sure, what do you want to say before we have to wrap up, sadly, about what you've noticed about your yeah, social What I want to say, actually, sure. The first thing I want to say is that at 83, I feel very, very lucky to be alive, given the fact that I'm, I, was a, I was a cigarette boy, papyrossi, in mm. Poland during the Second World War. So I'm a, basically, I resonate with what Brokaw put out, uh, the greatest generation. However, that's the, most of the thing I want to mention to you is this right now. I don't want to forget that. Along the lines that the previous lady talked about, my suggestion for you folks, and it's a great show. I missed a lot of it in the middle, but I heard the first part, and I came on about 20 minutes ago. But I would do want to suggest to you that you ask people if they're interested in connecting with anybody else here, as I would be very happy to talk to people if they so wished, uh, to leave their number. So I think that would be great, because I think that's so important. That is how our radio special ended, with people saying, we want to talk to each other. So if you are someone who is interested in talking with other listeners about their experiences of being older, send us an email and leave us your contact information. Our email address is deathsexmoney at wnyc.org. Please also tell us what kind of connections would be most helpful to you. We're still figuring out just how we'll do this, but we want to gauge interest and hear your ideas for how we can all keep talking about getting older together. Death, Sex, and Money is a listener-supported production of WNYC Studios in New York. Special thanks to Colorado Public Radio for co-producing this live show with us. Thank you to our engineers that night, Jason Isaac, Jim Briggs, and Pedro Lombrano. Our call-in screeners were Jordan Lauf and Simon Garrison-Close. This program was produced by Katie Bishop and Annabelle Bacon. The rest of the Death, Sex, and Money team includes Affie Yellow Duke, Emily Botine, Andrew Dunn, and our intern, Emily Tafour. 
Additional thanks to Matt Hertz and Corey Jones at Colorado Public Radio, and to Ricardo Fernandez, David McLean, and Sachi Ezra at WNYC's The Green Space. And an extra thank you to my co-host for the night, Joanne Allen. You can find more of her work by subscribing to her podcast, Been There, Done That, at beentheredonethatpodcast.com or wherever you listen. I'm Anna Sale, and this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. WNYC.